Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they were thus questioned, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let me pray for us one more time. Father God, Uh, Calm each of our hearts this morning. Help us to focus on your word. May we grasp from everything that we've studied in Mark up to this point. um, What it is that you are wanting us to see here in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Lord, we need your help in that. We need your Holy Spirit to do that. And so we ask that you will be guiding us, Lord, in the imperfect way that I will preach, that I will present your word. Um, I pray that grace will abound and that we will all see what it is that you have for us in this text. God, we love you. Amen. So thus far in the Gospel of Mark, we have been looking at some themes that we're going to follow up on every single week. A king, his kingdom, and the call to discipleship, which is a constant and continual call. And I know that sounds repetitive, that something would be constant and it would be continual, right? But here's what I mean by that. It is a constant call out to the whole world to follow. And it is a continual call and work in your life that Jesus does on a daily basis. That's what sanctification is in a sense. That every single day, 
we take up our cross and we follow him. Every single day, we commit ourselves to Jesus. Every single day, we rest and rely on him. We answer the continual call in our lives to follow. To follow that king into his kingdom, as it were. And last week, here was our big idea. Jesus knows and understands your needs. Jesus knows and understands your needs. Keep resting in and relying on him. And here's what we want to get at today. Jesus knows and meets your deepest or your greatest need. Jesus knows and he meets your deepest need. What is your greatest need? Now, whatever first popped into your head just now probably isn't it, okay? Me, cheese, okay? Cheese would be one of my greatest needs. And yet, realistically, that's not a really great need. That's a really unhealthy need for me, right? So what is your greatest need? And I'm going to give you a clue. It's three words, three words. If this were any song written anywhere in the world, those three words would be, I love you, right? And what we're talking about today is not those three words, although it flows from those three words. What is your deepest need that Jesus knows and he meets? Here's the three words we want to think about this morning. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Let's walk through this passage real quick and just make sure that we're grasping what it is that we need to know, okay? And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that Jesus was at home. Hold on, wait a second. I thought, I thought the Son of Man had no place to rest his head, right? Foxes have dens, and how does it go? You get it. Does Jesus have a home? Right? Secretly, was Jesus a, a prosperity preacher? Right? He had a mansion, seaside, Capernaum. No, where was this home? Uh, well, it's probably Peter's house again, right? It, the house that he was previously at, where Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Um, so that's probably where Jesus is at. And we see, and we all understand this, a little taste of small-town life here in Hermanus, Right? After some days, it was reported that he was at home. When Jesus got back into town, the secret could not be kept for long. Uh, Melvin tells me this about Fisher Haven, that everyone knows everyone's business in Fisher Haven, right? There's one road in and out, and everyone knows who goes in and out, right? Okay, this is Jesus' case here. Um, this is small-townish life. Everyone knows when he rolls back into town and they're going to be there to meet him. And many gathered, and many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door, right? So standing room only outside, right? We got people sitting inside. We got people blocking up the doorway. Um, let's hope there's not a stampede. Everyone's outside. And what was Jesus doing? He was healing the masses. He, no, and he was preaching the word to them. 
Now again, we don't know what this word is exactly. We know a couple things about this word. It's that the kingdom is at hand. It's that um, we should repent and believe. This is what we know Jesus is preaching. But where is he preaching it from? Mark doesn't give us those details here. He doesn't give us the content of the message. So that's not our point right now. The content of Jesus' message is not the point right now. Except for to say that there are religious leaders in the room. There are people that... Look, I have a great fondness. I love these religious leaders in this passage. And in the majority of what we see in Jesus' ministry. Because they think that by what they believe and what they teach, they will be saved. Ah, what security I find in that, right? If I just believe the exact right thing, if I just say the exact right, correct thing, and if I tell others that correct thing, ah, I'll be saved. But we do know the content of Jesus' message enough to know that these religious leaders were there because there was something that they didn't know. They were learning from Jesus. They were literally sitting at his feet learning from him. And they came. Who were they? Some guys, okay? (laughs) And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, so we're not going to go into a lot of detail about what's going on here. Uh, Most of us have removable roofs, okay? Our roofs were nearly removed last night with the wind, right? Right? Same thing going on here, whether it's tile, whether it's mud, whether it's thatch, whether it's sticks, whether it's straw, I don't know what it is. What we do know, though, is that these men could open up the roof. It was probably a messy process. Um, We could talk about the friendship of the men and the paralytic. That's not a bad thing. Friendship is important. Roof construction is an important thing, but that's not what's important right now. But there is a question that we can ask about this roof construction and these friends that seem to help this paralyzed man, whether this man couldn't move his legs, he couldn't move his arms. I don't know what the situation was. He definitely couldn't move his legs, right? Because the miracle is get up and walk. But what we see here, or a question that we have to ask ourselves, is why be so determined to see Jesus? Why be so determined to see Jesus? Why tear up somebody's roof? And mind you, if this is Peter's house, I'm pretty sure Peter has cut off ears for less of an offense, okay? (laughs) Uh, Peter probably wouldn't be happy about this. Why cause the offense of tearing up someone's roof to see Jesus? Why cart a man from across town to lower him down through a roof Not what people typically do to get someone into their house. Why go through the hassle? Why go through the struggle? Well, these men, including the man on the bed, 
knew that they had a need. They knew that they had a need. And they knew that there was one person that could meet that need. Now we talked about last week that when Jesus is preaching, rather when Jesus is healing, his miracles point to his message, right? When Jesus is feeding people or healing people or casting out demons, he's meeting someone's felt need. That is a need that we know we have. And when Jesus is meeting this felt need, he's not just trying to please people. He's not just trying to draw a crowd. He wants that felt need being met to point to someone's deepest need. And we talked about that last week. So here, we have someone with a felt need. And yet, we know that these men are going through the struggle that they are Because, not that they have a hunch that there's this healer in town and they can maybe do something for this man. They're doing it because they know that Jesus can heal him. You don't dig up someone's roof, or Peter's roof, unless you know that Jesus can do something. Let's see what that something is. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, you are healed. Get up and go home. No. Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you, but if I went to Jesus and my legs didn't work and he said, your sins are forgiven... I would have been a little bit disappointed. It's true. But that's because I really love my legs. (laughs) Right? This man here, he knew who Jesus was. And he knew what Jesus could do. I think the kind of faith that this man and his friends showed in Jesus was not a faith that was disappointed. It was a faith that when Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. They knew that Jesus did them one better. They knew that Jesus did more than they could have thought or asked. Now that sounds a bit strange, especially in our world today, right? Because realistically... Um, very few people walk around thinking that they have anything that they need to be forgiven for. But these men that were willing to go and see Jesus, who knew that they had a need, knew also that they had sin. These men, just like everyone else, were making sacrifices to cover over their sin. Right? They were dedicating themselves to a teaching and to a temple. And throughout their entire lives, they dedicated themselves to a faith in something, hoping that that something could save them. And yet in our world today, and even in our own lives, 
It's not often that we think we need to be forgiven. Okay, maybe I said something to Tara that was unkind and I hope that she is going to forgive me. Or maybe I meet someone out on the street and they're like, yeah, no, I mean, I had a hard week last week. I blew up at a couple people, but it's fine. Everyone does that every once in a while. Here's the problem. The majority of people do not sense, they do not understand what their deepest, their greatest need is. But these five men here, despite the fact that they wanted their friend to get healed, knew what their greatest need was. And this is why they went to Jesus. Son, your sins are forgiven. Is there anything better in the world to hear than you are forgiven? In fact, I listen to... uh, It's a group of preachers. They have a podcast and a radio station, and it's called You Are Forgiven Radio. And you know what? I love listening to it once a month because at the end of every message, do you know what they tell me? You are forgiven. It's a simple thing. It's a simple thing that I should remember. And yet, even still, my pride gets in the way of what I know to be true. I know to be true that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that his blood was spilt for me. It covered over all of my unrighteousness. It made me right, good in God's eyes. And that I have the guarantee of eternal life because Jesus was raised from the dead. And yet many days I walk around with Satan whispering in my ear that I am not forgiven. That no, I should not go to Tara and ask for forgiveness because I do not deserve it. And yet Jesus looks at this man and says the exact opposite. He says, or rather he says the same thing, you don't deserve it and I'm going to give it to you anyway. In James chapter 5 we read this, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's a confusing passage, and there's a lot that we could go into, but we see two things happening in it. We see healing and forgiveness. And we see that exact thing. Where do you think, Jesus, where do you think James learned uh, a message like that? I would say that he learned it from his brother, Jesus, in situations just like this one. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? Is he blaspheming? Who can forgive sins but God? They're right. Who can forgive sins but God? Just as we read in Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Who forgave it? God did. And Isaiah, 
We have the words of the prophet from God saying, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. For what? For my sake. And I will not remember your sins. We could go on to Second Samuel 12, chapter 12, verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. Psalm 32, again, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered over. Micah 7.18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? Zechariah 3.4, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him, and to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments, pure clothes. God is the one that forgives sin, that removes sin, that covers over it. So these religious leaders were right in saying, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? You know only God can do that. No one else speaks like that. No one else says, I have forgiven you. Oh, because God has empowered me to do it. Right? Nathan didn't do that. Isaiah doesn't do that. No one does that. But Jesus did it. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Now, this is a strange thing, because when I read that verse, the first thing I want to think is uh, nothing miraculous going on here. Jesus is just wise, right? And I want, I want that kind of wisdom. Like when I'm preaching here, and I say something that doesn't make sense, I want to, I want to be able to say, hmm, no, I don't think Steve understood what I was saying. All right, Steve, here we go. I'm going to say it to everyone now so that make sure that Steve gets it and I get it and you get it. I want to think that's what's going on with Jesus, but more than that is going on. More than that is going on. We read in John chapter 2, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Whoa! Jesus is not only doing miracles when we see him doing miracles, miraculous things are happening with him all the time. Jesus knew their hearts. He knew what questions they were asking. And he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Even though, come on, Jesus also knew why they would do that. Right? They're waiting on a Messiah. They're waiting on someone that can be king and that is going to take over everything and yet be holy. So Jesus knows why they're questioning. But almost in a way of saying, hey, look, you're sitting here for a reason. Why would you question what I'm saying right now? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Both of those were pretty easy to say. I just said both of them. Is that what Jesus is getting at? He can use words and speak? No, I don't think so, right? Which one is easier? 
If I were to walk out these doors today and there was someone whose legs didn't work sitting outside, how easy would it be for me to say, You're, get up and walk? Could I, could I pull off a miracle like that? Or how easy would it be for me to say, your sins are forgiven, as though I did it? Actually, both of those are pretty impossible. And I think that's part of Jesus' point. Both of these things are pretty impossible. And then Jesus does something totally unlike anything that he's done so far. He announces who he is. Up to this point, he's been trying to silence everyone, right? The demons know who he is, and he says, shh, I command you not to speak. He heals the man. The man wants to go out. Jesus says, now don't tell anyone about this. Except for this is exactly what Jesus does. The religious leaders here are almost saying, prove it. Prove that you can forgive that man's sin. Except for they don't really want him to prove it. Because that means that they've got something wrong in what they believe. Okay? And yet this is exactly what they're saying. Prove it. And that's exactly what Jesus does. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Time out. Son of Man. All right, now this is in Mark's gospel. This is Jesus' favorite way of describing who he is. And it's unique because what are we waiting on? We're waiting on a word like Messiah. We're waiting on a word like King. But he doesn't say that. He says, Son of Man. What does that mean? Okay, well, we have three uses of that in the Bible, okay? The first of which is someone that is born of a woman. And that's true of Jesus. That's true of Jesus. Or in the Psalms, we read that uh, David is described as a son of man, a, a very important person. But in the book of Daniel, we read this. And I saw in the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So someone like a son of man. Looks, looks like man. Is he though? And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus didn't step right out and say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king you've been waiting on. He said something that the religious leaders would definitely understand, though. He said, hey, you know the one that looks like maybe they're born of a woman in the, that the prophet Daniel speaks of? I'm that one. The one that is going to gather a group of disciples and send them out to all nations so that all nations' languages and peoples will confess my name and they will be a part of my everlasting kingdom? I'm that one. So Jesus almost here gives himself away, but he still does it a little bit secretively, and yet he almost does it more offensively to the religious leaders. 
but to prove that he is that person. Religious leaders, you say, prove it. Jesus says, I am more than you think that I am. And he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately. Not Jesus, the paralytic, the guy that was paralyzed. And he rose immediately and picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never saw anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. So was the man forgiven? Yes, he was. Why was he forgiven? Because he knew who Jesus was. Jesus saw the faith that the five men had in who Jesus was. And he said, you are forgiven. What was this man's greatest need? Was it that he walk? Or was it that he be forgiven of his sins? Which was the harder need to meet? Look, Jesus is going around performing miracles. Um, People are curious about who Jesus is. And yet, it also seems like in the New Testament that there are other people that are performing miracles in whose name we don't know. Why are they doing it? We don't know. And yet Jesus is doing it with a greater frequency, with a greater number of people, and so on and so forth. That's miraculous. And yet, no one was offended by the fact that Jesus told the man to get up and walk. They were amazed, but they weren't offended. They were offended that Jesus said that he could forgive the man. That he could forgive the man. What is your greatest need? What is your greatest need? What great need do you have that if it were met, it would be your greatest relief not to have to concern yourself with it anymore? As you go to work tomorrow and you or you go out into the world, whatever it is that you're going to do tomorrow, and you're forced to deal with someone that is difficult, what is their greatest need? (laughs) Well, obviously they need to be less difficult, right? (laughs) Not exactly. As you go out into the world tomorrow, today, and you're mistreated by someone, as you are ignored, as you make mistake after mistake this week, as you fall into sin, as you argue with your friends or spouse, as life happens, what is your greatest need? What is your neighbor's greatest need this week? I think our greatest need, as we see in this passage, is our need to hear the words, you are forgiven. Now, unlike people in Jesus' day, um, they could not pronounce these three words because, well, only God can forgive sins. But for those of us that know Jesus 
as our Savior, that we have met the call to be His disciples, that we rely fully on His person and rest completely in the work that He has done on your behalf and on mine, I can say with great confidence here this morning that you are forgiven. And it's not me making that pronouncement to you. It's Jesus making that pronouncement to you. You are going to meet people this week. And I have one person in mind in particular that is a very nice guy, too nice of a guy sometimes. And he's constantly talking to me about the fact that he needs a friend. That's true. He does need a friend. And I invite him to church all the time, and I try to be his friend. And yet, no matter what friendship I'm able to offer him, he still needs a friend. Why is that? Well, part of it is because he can't understand what it is that is plaguing his heart and his mind. And it is his own sin. And probably, well, no, we can say with quite a lot of assurance that the largest sin that is bearing weight down on his soul is the fact that he has not responded to Jesus' call in his life. To turn away from his sin, to turn away from himself, that is to repent and to turn to God, that is to show faith in who Jesus is. So as you meet someone that thinks they just need a friend, someone that thinks that they just need a vacation, a holiday, that they just need a raise at work, that they just need a better spouse, what they're really saying is, I need to be forgiven. I need Jesus. And we have to always be mindful of that. So this week... I want you to remember these three words. And actually, do me a favor. Think of it like this. You're lying in bed every morning. Now, not when a baby's crying and you have to get up, okay? But imagine there's no babies crying. Some of you, that's easy. Some of us, we have uh, like post-traumatic stress and it's hard to, to not think like this, okay? But you're lying in bed. And it's like every single morning, for those of you that know Jesus as your Savior, Jesus is saying to you, you are forgiven. Now get up. Don't take your bed because that would be heavy. But get up and follow. Get up and walk. Go out into the world. Share the good news with those that you know. For those of us that are forgiven... This is what we need to be reminded of this week. Look, just as Jesus identified with us, that is that he made himself like us to show that he understands us in his birth, right? That he was born of a woman. Just as Jesus identified with us in his baptism, why was John baptizing people? For repentance, right? Did Jesus need to be forgiven of anything? No. 
But just as Jesus is willing to take your sin upon himself, he is willing to take our baptism upon himself. Jesus identified, remember last week, two weeks ago, can't remember, Jesus identified with a sick man by touching him when no one else would. And we read in Isaiah, Isaiah that Jesus takes on our sicknesses. That's just what Jesus was willing to do, to take on our iniquity and to take on our sicknesses. And lastly, why would Jesus say to that man that you are forgiven? Why would he say to you and to me this morning that you are forgiven? Because Jesus is also willing to identify with us, to make himself like us by taking our sin on his shoulders to the cross. Christian, you are forgiven. And we have a responsibility to go out into the world and act like that is true. So what's our big idea? Jesus knows and meets your deepest need. What is that deepest need? To know that you're forgiven. You are forgiven. Let me pray for us. Our forgiving and forever merciful God. This morning, we come humbly to you, like these four friends and the man being lowered down through the roof. <laughs> Culturally inappropriate. We come to you knowing that we need to be healed in some way, that each of us needs to get fixed up in some way. All of us come to you this morning admitting that we have a need. And yet, Lord, we oftentimes confuse our, our daily needs for our deepest needs and our good and our right needs for our greatest need. For those of us that have you as our Father, the Son as our Savior, the Spirit as our Sanctifier, please remind us of our need to every day come to you where we know that we will be forgiven. Continually call us to a life of being made into the image, into the likeness, being made more like Jesus. Which always begins with repentance. Turning away from ourselves and our sin, turning towards you. And as we have studied so many times already, and as Derek read for us again this morning, with Jesus... With repentance comes the promise of forgiveness. Lord, we are thankful that we already have that forgiveness in Christ. For those this week that we meet and work with, Lord, encourage us with the knowledge that whatever it is that our neighbor seeks, be it friendship or love or security, that their truest and their greatest need is forgiveness. Their greatest need is Jesus. That their greatest need is salvation. Father, 
you unconditionally love. Jesus, you are the greatest picture of love to us. In spirit, we need you to build in us your heart of love for everyone that we meet so that they too can know about the forgiveness that we have and the assurance guaranteed to us in the blood of Jesus. God, it is only you that can forgive sins. Thank you that you choose to bring us close to you. Even when we separate ourselves from you and run away, you bring us in close. Thank you that you paid the greatest debt that we owed. God, may it be true that our only hope is you, that our strength is you, and that you are our portion today, tomorrow, and every day after. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he died so that we don't have to. Thank you that you raised him to the life so that we know we can live and live more fully for you every single day. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.